So, now that we're all here and I've pushed the start button, I um, I have no idea how to begin this. So we'll just dive into it. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> Hi there. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Steve Jackson joining me are uh, Peter Rodwell and Henrico Marx. Um, if you're familiar with um, with the Appen team, you may have uh, spoken with one or more of us already. Uh, but we're giving this another go. So if you're part of the Formula Shakedown group, you would be aware that last year we did uh, have a go at making a bit of a podcast for the Formula Shakedown page. Um it was it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't overly successful. So we figured that we'd try this in a slightly different way um, and actually make it so all of you can enjoy it. So if you're into GTs and bikes and prototypes and so on and so forth, then uh, we'll cover that stuff as well. Uh, but good morning um, and uh, good morning to the uh, the my my co-host joining me. How are you both? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Like I said, it's a, it's a bright and early, chilly Melbourne uh, Melbourne morning, but um, yeah, looking forward to an exciting weekend of uh, motorsport. We've got uh, Indy 500, we've got Monaco Grand Prix. Um, locally, we've got uh, TCR weekend on over in Sydney, which should be on, uh, on the telly. So yeah, all sorts of action to uh, lie ahead in the weekend. Yeah, there is a there is a lot on. And uh, Henry, what are you uh, what are you going to be watching this weekend in the way of motorsport? Monaco all the way. That's uh, nice. one of my favourite events. Um, and what's nice is with me being in South Africa, roughly the same time zone, so um, I don't have to be up at all weird hours to catch that. I don't know. I know everyone says it's very kind of process of um, race, but I, I enjoy it. I just like the flair of it and everything and yeah. last year's race was brilliant so we've had some good races on boring tracks this year so who knows it might be a very interesting race i was reading yeah. up that it was supposed to be brilliant weather i think like on the friday and the saturday in monaco and then sunday they were actually forecasting rain which i think that would, that would change everything completely because you are right henrico it's usually a bit of a you know a processional you know it's a lot of the race results depended on qualifying but you know, we have been learning. I mean, it can be a race of attrition, and obviously the weather, bad pit stop, that can just change the course of everything. So yeah, you're right; it will be quite an exciting uh, race. I don't yeah. know if uh, I've I mean, the, actually the, seen. Uh, oh, sorry, I don't know if I've seen a wet Monaco in quite some time. When just was to the last back. wet Monaco? Was that the one with where Danny Rick uh, had the blundered pit stop because they didn't have the there tires was, ready and they weren't sure yeah, what tires to put on? I want yeah. to say there was rain there, but I could be wrong. I think yeah. it was damp at the very least. Yeah. 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 There we go. F in the chat for the Danny Rick fans. Um, sorry. <laughs> but the good, I mean, the, the, the good thing is, is that we have been given some very surprisingly entertaining races at just dull tracks, as you said, Henry. So, like, Catalonia was actually great. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, it was. It, it sort of fizzled out, um, sort of midway through, and I was, I was about ready to, and towards the end again as well. But um, yeah, as soon as uh, a certain Ferrari decided to do Italian things, um, <laughs> it, uh, it started getting quite interesting again. So, could, could um, you elaborate on those Italian things? I, I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Nothing. Nothing's wrong. Nothing um, to see here. No, <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, is whether Charles has to take a penalty this weekend or not. I'm not too sure if he does. Um, I read somewhere that, that that it's very, very likely, not just Charles, but more than one of the Ferrari, well, both Ferraris. 
Well, this is the this is the thing. We didn't see any Ferrari sort of power unit issues that were concerning at the start of the year. I think it was Mercedes who had a couple of disastrous and Honda I, and Honda. Well, 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 Red Bull, Red Bull, HRC. I don't know what they're called now. Um, <laughs> the Japanese engine. Yes, that one. Um, uh, but yeah, it's um, it, the you don't like to see results dictated by reliability issues, but. It has at least thrown a cat amongst the pigeons. Um, I mean, you know, Max Verstappen is now leading the championship again. Uh, Charles is right there, though. He's only, he's, he's what? He's, um, uh, he's six points behind, um, 110 to 104. Checo is 85. George Russell is still a contender on 74. Carlos, 65. Um, again, if in the chat for Carlos Sainz fans. He's had a torrid time this season. It's yep. rubbish, and I really <clears> hope <throat> things improve. Um, and then it's a fairly hefty gap back to Lewis Hamilton in six, who's on currently on 46 points. Uh, Lando Norris, 39. Porridge, Bottas, 38. Um, <laughs> get in there. Uh, ninth, Esteban Ocon on 30. And Kev, Kevin, Kevin Magnussen, 15 points. Pass Ferrari. Yeah. That's probably 15 more than he may have thought at the beginning of the year, but look where we are. Are we, are we how surprised are we by Haas? How surprised are we by the Ferrari backmarkers, as we can say? Yeah. Like, traditionally, it, it's incredible. Yeah, like, the Alfa Romeo actually looks frighteningly good. And the good thing is, because it's relatively light compared to the other cars, it's quite short in wheelbase, it should go quite well around Monaco. It should I go very so. well around Monaco. So um, there were some stats posted up on Twitter by, I cannot remember who it was, I'm very sorry, um, but they actually had some uh, telemetry from uh, Barcelona. And in that last sector, the really the really rubbish one that they've ruined that track with, um, the Alfa Romeo was blisteringly quick compared to everything else. So yeah, there is a good possibility that we'll see an Alfa Romeo right up there um, we could see Kevin Magnussen right up there. I don't. It's it's the good thing is with the season, it's very hard to predict. So yeah, I mean, Bottas um, would be thinking going, you know, from you know from Mercedes to over to Alpha. You know, probably initially thinking, well, I mean, I'm probably not going to have that great of a time. He's having a ball, I think, over there with like yeah. I said, with the car being so well and just being so suited to. Uh, you know, I think really suited to him, and of course, just with the way the Ferrari engines have been kind of a bit more, you know, the, the package to have this year. I mean, he's laughing. Like, I mean, I, I think they were they were joking at one of the previous rounds where, like I said, Bottas was actually going around Hamilton, and I thought you wouldn't have seen that coming in a, in the last few right. seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, like the good thing is he's he's got that team leader status now. And he's also got a multi-year contract, which he's never had with Mercedes. So yeah. it's it, it'll be good for the old mental health as well and good for sort of his long-term prospects in F1. Like if Alfa Romeo keep this up, they could start, you know, annoying the podium quite regularly. I genuinely, like, he's, his talent is probably pushing that car, I think, a little bit beyond what the car is, you know, really readily capable of. But, um in all honesty, it's a it's, it's, it's a good package. It's a good car. Um, uh, to annoy somebody, if he ever listens to this on a podcast, on another podcast that I tend to appear on occasionally, it's a neat and tidy package. And that person who's listening will hate me saying that. Um, just to wind him up. Um, 
but yeah, uh, Monaco predictions go. Ooh, that that came out of left field right there. <laughs> um, we are talking I, about it, so <laughs> I, um, I I'm just go for it, Peter. I was just going to say, look, I, I I still think Red Bull's going to kind of deliver on the day. As much as I'd like to see, you know, Charles get. You know, uh, you know, get get the P1, and you know, in, in what's his real home Grand Prix? I mean, look, it's a home Grand Prix for a lot of drivers, but it really is for for, for Charles being a Monegasque. Um, look, I, I unfortunately think that you know Verstappen's going to come in and spoil the party, but look, we'll just have to wait and see. The thing, the thing is, um, the Ferrari is brilliant on tight corners. We've seen that it, it's it's only on the fast corners and on the straights where the Red Bulls really. Um, well, no. The Red Bull is quite comparable most of the way, but the Ferraris are better on tighter technical sections of the track. And that's Monaco. But Charles just has the absolute worst luck in Monaco. So yeah. um, I'm my, my prediction is Charles going to get pole, but Red Bull 1 and 2. Whether it's Max or Checo, I can't say. Yeah, no, that's a that's that's a good shout. I just want Charles to finish. I mean, yeah. I know he's finished once yeah. before with Ferrari in when was it twenty twenty one, but that was off the podium, I think. But he just, I think, I just want him to finish. I I, I don't. I imagine it would be a bit of a blow if something did happen this weekend and he had to take a, you know, a power unit replacement and start at the back or wherever they're going to make him start. In a, you know, up in the hotel lobby. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it's it, yeah. I mean, he's been to Monaco in F one in a you know in a proper race weekend five times now. Three times he's retired for some reason. So um, yeah, it's not. Um, uh, sorry, no, four times and two times he's retired. Um, sorry, this, this info I'm looking at is predicting that he's going to retire apparently. But we'll, we'll just we'll just gloss over that. Um, it's just Wikipedia doing Wikipedia things. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, another point of contention that's uh, recently popped up in, um, in F1 is uh, Aston Martin have bought themselves some Red Bull. Yeah. And, and not a case to drink either. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to. I do yeah. just want to point out uh, the um, the the cans of green Red Bull that, that was Bull fantastic. Team were, were drinking. Yeah, so just well done. I do like that. You know, they've they've sort of taken a bit of a light-hearted approach to it. At least publicly, I imagine privately there are some very uh, serious discussions going on behind closed doors because it, I really don't want another you know mercedes well mclaren slash ferrari oh yeah you know spygate scandal or anything like that to pop up but you know bearing in mind red bull did have um some personnel make the switch to aston martin this year and they would have been on garden leave or you know very restricted access and you know in all good faith and that sort of thing, we wouldn't want any, you know, we wouldn't want or expect anybody to risk their their career or, you know, the reputation of their team or that sort of thing. But we've also seen it happen in the past. And honestly, the Aston Martin looks, it's uncannily similar to the Red Bull in a, in a number of areas, the side pods being the main ones. So, yeah. Um, do, uh, what do we think? Coincidence or what do we think? What What's going on? I don't know if I, I... I don't think that it's pink Mercedes number two. Um, 
I think they have towed the line very carefully, but there's dev- definitely some heavy inspiration there. Mm. Um, I think it's classic F1. They see something that works and they copy it because, unfortunately, that's that's kind of Aston Martin Racing Point's mo. Um, I I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's just like you know they've discovered the same thing that Red Bull did, but. I don't know if I can give them that benefit of the doubt. But yes, it does look ridiculously similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a tricky one. I mean, like I said, you know, Steve, I think you kind of hit the, you know, the, the nail on the head with, you know, the amount of Red Bull personnel that have started moving over to, uh, you know, to Aston in the, uh, you know, in the off season. And look, I think inevitable some of this was, was going to come out. I mean, I think it's inevitable when anybody moves to another team. Look, there's a degree of information that they'll bring. It's just how they, you know, how they portray that because Aston Martin aren't lack of it they're not stupid i mean they're going to know that they went through this whole issue you know with the whole pink mercedes debacle so if they were going to knowingly go down that path again they were probably really going to have to think about well look we can't you know we have to be a bit more discreet than you were before but obviously it's 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 visible it's you know it's it's you know it's in the public eye so it's just how you go about doing that but i don't know it's i think it's going to come back to like in their interpretation of the rules compared to everybody else's interpretation it's it's just a sad bit where it just seems to be constant politics at uh, you know at play. I mean, look, nothing new in Formula One. We're, you know, we'll still have these issues going forward. But yeah, I hope it just doesn't turn into something that's going to you know uh, you know ruin the season. You know, because that becomes the talking point. You know, compared to what goes on on track. Yeah, it's and it's it's. I mean, you just said it. Like Formula One's always very much been a political sport as well as an actual motorsport. There's always been you know, things going on behind the scenes and especially in the years where the championship has been fairly stale in terms of on track action, we do at least get some entertaining stuff off track. Yeah. Um, in this case, we've got both. Um, racing's been pretty good. Um, I, I, you know, just, just as a, as a segue to, you know, something relatively unrelated, I do think the new regulations are uh, mildly successful so far. I'd still like to see DRS go all together and, you know, maybe, maybe looking at some other options. But I mean, in respect to the the actual accusations, well, not accusations. Accusations probably isn't the right word, um, just because you have to be very, very certain of what you're saying when you accuse another team of cheating, especially when the whole thing isn't very much in the public eye. Um, but yeah, I hope that it is a genuine case of. Well, I mean, Lance Stroll said it, and, you know, we have to take him on face value because, you know, he knows more than we do. Um, he's, you know, basically they were pursuing two concepts, um, and the concept that had matured the most most, and the one they decided to go with was, was the one that they started the season with, which ultimately was a bit of a flop. It just didn't work. Yeah. It looked incredible. I thought it was one of the best-looking yeah. cars on the grid. Sure. Um, but it just didn't really work so fingers crossed it is just a coincidence it's a happy coincidence everyone's happy christian horner and you know co can can you know sort of you know put the pitchforks down and just say okay it's fine you know absolved of any sort of wrongdoing from you know from you know from any of their ex-personnel or that sort of thing the last thing i think anyone wants is another spygate because that just consumed <clears throat> that entire season and made it look a little bit ridiculous 
Well, I mean, at the end of the day as well, I mean, you look at you look at the way Aston has kind of carried on the season. It has probably been not the way they envisioned, uh, you know, kind of getting getting their their grasp on this on the season because they they've been nowhere really near competitive. They haven't had a great run of luck. Um, so, look, I mean, even if you know, like, was, you know, with the way this pans out, I mean, I don't think Red Bull really has too much to worry about, anyways. I, I can't really see Aston really making ground. I think it's just what we really need to see is just Aston just making a, a competitive, honest entry, and I think that's just been the struggle right now is is just being able to do that. So, hopefully, they'll be able to turn those fortunes around and uh, and and be a bit more competitive, you know, as the season goes on or even into twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, look, moving on to uh, more speculative stuff. Obviously, the driver market's going to start cranking up into overdrive for next year. Um, the uh, sort of the big mystery at the moment is whether we're going to have Daniel, Ric- uh, Daniel Ricciardo in a McLaren or in a car at all next year. Um, he's sort of hinted that things ma- might not be as secure as his uh, contract to the end of 2023 would suggest. And uh, Zach Brown has also come out and basically said he's just not performing to expectations. So um, if he goes, because I'll be honest, I don't think he would necessarily stay at McLaren at the right things are going. If he does leave McLaren, where does he go? Like, is there anywhere, like, is there, is there a seat for him? I, don't, I can't think of anywhere he could go. I don't see it. Because Haas is not going to drop Magnussen or Schumacher because it's Schumacher, and, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's the Ferrari links for Schumacher as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Williams, I think they're very happy with Albon. And if they drop um, Latifi, they've got a host of other drivers that are lining up. There's no way in hell Alpine's going to take him back. The Red Bull seats, no one's going to take him back there. Mercedes, not a chance. Um, Alfa Romeo, I think they're happy with both of their drivers. So, yeah, I think he's gone, and I think Gasly's going to replace him. I think the best seat that Danny Rick is going to have right now, honestly, is going to be a uh, seat on the tractor out at the family farm out in WA. Um, yeah. Yeah. Joke, no, but joking aside, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I think the the end is nigh for uh, for Danny. Like I said. I think coming into McLaren, I think he did come in with high hopes, just as much as McLaren had high hopes. I mean, there were some glimmers of hope. Obviously, you know, did get the race win, obviously, in at Monza. Mm. But yeah, it hasn't really been a banner season, and I think I think the wind has really been taken out of uh, out of Danny's sails. Uh, you know, and like both of you have already summarized, there's really nowhere for him to go. We've got too many too many new young drivers that that are ripe full of talent coming through the F2 and F3 ranks. And, uh, and and I think they're just dying to have a spot. And, and I think it's just more logical that you're going to be trying to promote those people up rather than playing more musical chairs. So I think, unfortunately, Danny, uh, Danny Rick's time is going to be at an end, I think, come the end of the season, along with a couple other drivers, which I'm sure we'll, we'll probably talk about. But uh, it's a pity. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think time's up for Danny. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, though, where he might have one small shot of going is if Vettel leaves Aston Martin, he might go there. I don't know, but that's that's a very small possibility. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting one because, I mean, I was originally always of the mindset that Seb would try 
and bring across Mick Schumacher. Again, there's obviously a bit of a, you know, kind of a, you know, a fathering relationship between those two, obviously both being German as well. Um, but you are right, Henrico. I know that uh, Mick still has those Ferrari ties. I don't know how strong they remain. Um, I think it remains to be seen. I know some uh, some media outlets were kind of reporting that Mick may be under, under threat, even at, at Haas. Look, whether that's unfounded or not, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it would be an interesting one. What would happen that way? Because of course, Seb, I believe, will be uh, he'll be he'll be next on the list. I think to go along with uh, with Fernando. Yeah, yeah, it's a good shout. The Aston Martin one, though, I hadn't actually considered that, and it's it's not outside the realm of possibility, especially because Daniel's already familiar with the Mercedes power unit. So yeah. you know, there wouldn't really need to be any, um, you know you know, re-adaptation there. I just don't know whether, like, because, I mean, again, sort of speculating from the outside in, but I'm not sure that team environment would suit his personality either. Um, And that, like, he does seem like the sort of chap who does need to be in an environment where he can actually, you know, be Danny Rick and not, you know, um, and not be not be hamstrung by sort of, uh, I suppose, like constraints from higher ups. I don't know. Like Aston could be a really good move for him, but uh, at the at the moment, he just, I think he just needs a solid weekend or two to regain some confidence, and that might, you know, kick him into gear. But even then, I think McLaren may already be looking at, um, you know, other options. Um, even even bringing in an IndyCar driver. Um, as like some sort of experiment to to see how that goes. Um, well, it's Oscar Piastri still an option there because, like, I know he is obviously got links with Alpine at the moment, and a lot of them are, are tipping him to replace Fernando Alonso. But I remember there was some chat a while ago that there was, you know, uh, there was possibility that Piastri may have moved over to McLaren. I don't know if that's still in play or not, though. I think he was like something. available. Like on like Alpine were willing to loan him out if either of the McLaren drivers, you know, yeah. um, couldn't couldn't drive for for any reason. But he just needs to be in Formula One because it's criminal that he's not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a, just a driver of his caliber has to basically just sit out and wait, which just seems really really bizarre to me. Yeah. Like put him in F two again, but put some bricks in the back of his car to slow him <laughs> down a bit. He'll still win. Like just just ham- hamstring the guy. Um, yeah, I think I, I've, <clears throat> I, he's one of the. Uh, he he feels a bit like what Lewis Hamilton did when he came in, you know, in in two thousand seven, or or you know what Sebastian Vettel did the year. Like just one of those drivers who just gives the impression that he is capable of, like just incredible things. So yeah, he needs to he needs to be in um in Formula One. Um, so obviously Monaco this weekend, we're recording this on a Saturday morning because for some reason I figured that would be a good time to do it. So um, in the essence of fairness, um, what a great race or a bit boring, but we'll <laughs> let you know how it goes the next yeah. time we do a recording. Um, moving on to the F2 and F3, uh, we, would, uh, we were expecting to have Martin Weaver with us as well. Uh, unfortunately, he is uh, busy with... Um, with real life stuff. Um, so we'll just go through the F2 and F3 driver standings very quickly because hand on heart, honesty, I have, I don't really know all that much about it. And I'm, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, guys. But... You're a motorsport <laughs> presenter. You should know everything about everything. Like I don't. I, I give my talents to other 
topics. We'll move on to those in a moment. But F2, uh, Drugovic uh, leading on 86 points from Boucher, who is on 60. Uh, Druvula, 41. And then uh, Go Kiwi, Liam Lawson, 37. Marcus Armstrong, 36. Those are your top five in F2 as of Barcelona. And uh, for F3, Martins on 62, Stanek 56, Crawford 50, Hajar 47, and Arthur Leclerc 43. Those are your top five for F3. Very briefly, W Series, no surprise to in well, in a series of events that will shock absolutely no one, Jamie Chadwick is just making, just 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 dominating everyone and everything in that championship what? no that's that's unbelievable who would have seen I that am, coming i am shocked um but we spoke briefly about this before we started recording what's the point of the w series because once they win it just seems that they come back and they win again yeah and then they come back and they win some more like, I think I think, the, go? <laughs> I think the end goal here is to just have an entire series comprised of a bunch of female drivers who are insanely good and just race each other to see who's the goodest of the lot. <laughs> well, they've achieved that. It's doing yeah. very, very well. But it just oh, this this really frustrates me. There yeah. Need, yeah I, I, there just needs to be a very clear progression path win w series go from w series to f3 or f2 or you know whatever whatever works win that do well whatever the result may be and provided you get enough and you know the the you know the the team that wants you wants you on merit because you know somebody like jamie chadwick i think would do amazingly well in formula one um gets to drive in formula one that's i say it's not hard it would obviously be quite hard to arrange that and there would all be all sorts of you know handshakes and you know contracts and progression paths to put in place but honestly a formula one team just needs to get behind um one of these drivers and and actually get them on a path to formula one like w series was pitched as a way of getting female drivers into formula one it's not a new championship anymore. It's been going for a wee while. Um, and it just, we're still here. Yeah. I, I actually had a, a whole theory of how things like this should work. And it, it's, it's like a fantasy of mine. Um, and if only it could be that way, like that the FIA would structure F1 in such a way that, for instance, the three lowest performing teams each get an incentive um, say, for instance, a certain amount of money to bring in a driver. So basically they boot their uh, worst performing driver and then bring in a driver from a feeder series who has got their own merit. And they get funded by the FIA. They get a bonus to, you know, bring in this rookie. And um, I think that would be fantastic. But it's, yeah, unfortunately, it's just wishful thinking because I think that could be great. I mean, that works. Like just just the the again the logistics of it and that sort of thing would be quite interesting I imagine behind behind the scenes but it's not a silly idea it's a better idea than what they've got at the moment which is just letting them circulate again and again and you know let Jamie Chadwick just run away at the front like they are all incredibly talented drivers like that, yeah. that's 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 just the truth of it but you watch somebody like Jamie Chadwick and you're sitting there going this is a really really criminal missed opportunity to get to to get a driver of her caliber into at least formula two 
at yeah. least Formula Two. Like she's got, she's she's ready to go. Like get her into Formula Two. Obviously, wouldn't be much point switching her right now because I mean, you know, we're halfway through the season. But yeah. just get her into Formula Two, please. Yeah, and there has to be some commercial aspect to that as well because the, the, yeah. there will be organizations out there which would be more than willing to get behind, uh, you know, a, you know, a female driver. And, and I mean, even taking you know the you know the you know the, the, the sex out of the equation, I mean, she's just an incredible talent. You know, as yeah. we both just said, I mean, pe- people will back her no matter where she goes. But it's just giving her that next, you know, that next can stepping you, stone. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you imagine the commercial? That's brilliant point can you imagine the commercial gain the untapped commercial gain because you could have teams sponsored by like l'oreal or yeah schwarzkopf or or, that that would be you know l'oreal's face of racing that would I don't know if either of you remember um, there was a lady named Lynn St. James that was quite prominent in IndyCar yep. racing. Now, I mean, she didn't set the world on fire, you know, you know, and, and same with like Danica when she came involved into in, you know, IndyCar NASCAR. But I mean, they brought in a lot of, you know, different, uh, you know, different sponsors to the sport that probably would have never been interested in motorsport. But because, you know, it was there was a female presence there. I mean, companies were on board and interested. I mean, and that's that's 30, 40 years ago. So I, I think the same would exist today. I think there'd be even more interest, you know, in yeah. this day and age. So I yeah. think you're exactly right, Henrico. I mean, you know, having, you know, like I said, L'Oreal or, you know, or something to that effect on a car, I think that'd be incredible. We'll get you a meeting with the FIA in Paris. We'll <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All righty. Uh, moving on to two wheels now. Um, I'm not too sure uh, where to start with this because... Um, Oh, MotoGP. Um, yeah, this has been this this has just been probably one of the most insane seasons, both for on and off track, just bombshells that we've ever seen. Um, if you watched MotoGP last year, you probably would have expected the usual suspects for this year to be Pico Bagnaia, um, Fabio Cotteraro, and uh, that's it. Um, one of those two things is sort of eventuated, kind of. So we have Fabio Cotteraro on 102 points, and then it just gets really weird because uh, Alicia Spargo on the Aprilia is right behind him on 98 points. And this is, to me, one of the biggest success stories in, in motorsport. Um, yeah. This is a team who started out as basically the laughing stock of the paddock when they returned to the grid in 2016. Um, Alicia Spargaro has been with Aprilia basically since the beginning. So he was with Suzuki. They basically flicked him off and um, he ended up with Aprilia. And it just, for a while, it looked like they would just circulate at the back and Alicia would eventually retire back to Andorra and that would be the end of it. He's second in the championship. And right behind him, and this is the even weirder part, is Anea Bastianini on a Ducati that's over a year old and it's making the current Ducatis look absolutely stupid. He's also the only one with three race wins or, or round he wins. Is. Yep. 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 So yep. he's got the most wins out of the season. Yep. Um, and then fourth, we've got Alex Rins uh, on the Suzuki, and we'll come to that in a minute because that's another just bombshell. Uh, and then Jack, Jack Miller, who um, I believe is a that I firmly believe is off to KTM next year, but um, we'll again talk about that very shortly. 62 points. So that's your top five in MotoGP, but um, obviously the two big stories. 
one being that nobody knows what Ducati's doing next year with any of their riders, and it's looking more and more like Jack won't be a Ducati rider next year at all, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but the other one is uh, Suzuki. Yeah, they don't want to play. Yeah. Um, they signed on with Dorna uh, for a deal through to 2025 as an extended commitment to their MotoGP program. And then uh, at the Haref test after the Haref rounds, um, they basically told the entire team, you know, f- you know, a few dozen odd people that they're out of a job. That's it. Job done. I find that quite shocking for a company like Suzuki because surely that would be like their bread and butter being at the pinnacle of, you know, uh, of two-wheeled motorsport and, and having to pull the plug is massive. You'd think so. I, yeah. I do get the impression the um, the fine their car division received is somewhere to the tune of nearly four hundred million for emissions figures. Botching had something to do with this, but um, yeah, it's a it's a massive shame. Um, obviously, puts both Alex Rins and Juan Mir out of a job. Mir is the twenty twenty world champion, by the way, as well. Just a reminder, um, even though he's circulating ninth at the moment in the championship and hasn't looked particularly threatening next to his teammate um who has done reasonably well this year so far he has at least kept on the bike this time which is a which is an improvement so he is actually doing doing you know genuinely very well um but yeah i mean is this looking at it in a vacuum is this a concern for MotoGP? like is it becoming you know is the return return of investment not good enough anymore or is this just a suzuki issue and we can sort of not worry about any of the other manufacturers leaving i mean not knowing a lot about moto gp I, I i think it's it's not more about the sport in general i think it's probably just more a suzuki decision but you're right it does kind of then limit the options if you're you know coming into moto gp you're pretty much on a you're you're pretty much on a ducati or you know whatever else <laughs> you're able to to you know to, to partner up with you know yamaha aprilia you know honda or ktm really It'd be interesting maybe if any of those manufacturers decide to up their efforts, you know, any more than what they have today. The other one yeah. that I kind of note, and I mean, and, and, and forgive my ignorance, maybe I'm not understanding much about the sport, but I noticed there's no Kawasaki entry. And I mean, I don't know if they've ever had a history of being in MotoGP or not. Do they, you know, do they produce a bike that would be of the same caliber or are they just, are they just not keen or? No, so uh, Kawasaki had been in MotoGP in the past with yeah. mixed success. So, um, yeah. uh, They've had, uh, I mean, they've had some good riders. I mean, um, for you, for the Australian listeners, you'll be familiar with Anthony West. Uh, so he rode for Suzuki for, uh, for, you know, for quite a while. Uh, they've had guys like Shinya Nakano as well. Um, but the, the Kawasaki was notorious for just being a bit of a, not a pig, but just a bit of a handful to ride. It was in the mm-hmm. same league as the old Aprilia RS3 Cube uh, that set Colin Edwards on fire more than once. Um, it's just it was just a bit of a um, scary bike to ride. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think Kawasaki have much of an appetite for MotoGP. They're quite happy with World Superbike with Johnny with you know Johnny Ray and yeah, um, you know, <clears throat> for now um, I think we're just down to um, you know down to you know, well, we're one less manufacturer in, uh, in MotoGP now. So there still leaves Yamaha, Honda, uh, Aprilia, Ducati, and KTM. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, the championship as a whole is still um, 
reasonably healthy, but the loss of Suzuki does put a bit of a, a, a damper on it. Um, one thing that has been discussed in other circles and, you know, officially, well, semi-officially from paddock reporters and that sort of thing is that somebody buys basically the bikes and the equipments and the intellectual property off Suzuki and <clears throat> starts their own team. But there is a problem there is that they would have to be listed as an independent manufacturer and I believe they need actual manufacturing capacity in some way, shape, or form at the moment to actually be eligible to enter into MotoGP. Um, but the team can't continue as a satellite team because Dorna will not allow any other satellite teams at the moment. Um, so, yeah, watch the space. I think we're just going to be down two, bi- uh, well, down two bikes and two riders next year, which makes the silly season that is about to kick off here really really bizarre um we'll cover that quickly um so uh my predictions for people who will be gone uh ralph fernandez i don't think so remy gardner don't think so so that's both ktm guys gone unless some sort of miracle happens uh andrea davizioso i don't imagine he'll stick around especially now that uh the yamaha he is currently on will suddenly become an aprilia as of next season um if you're uh not up to speed with MotoGP, uh rnf um or with you yamaha rnf announced a satellite operation with aprilia for next year which is rather exciting um yeah, and then you've got guys like Takanakagami, um, who is probably going to be replaced by Ayagura next year, so he'll be gone. Um, Alex Marquez, he... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's shown flashes of brilliance, but he's not his brother. Um, Miguel Oliveira, maybe to Tech 3 to free up that other KTM factory seat next to, uh, to Brad Binder, um, who I think they'll keep because he's done rather well. Um, and shout out as well to Darren, Brind- Darren Bidner, uh, Brad's younger brother, who people thought would make an absolute mess of things. He's actually ridden rather maturely, if not a bit unspectacular, but it's his rookie season, so we'll give him time. But um, we're at Mugello this weekend. Uh, be interesting to see what happens. Um, I have not seen too much of it, but I mean, practice looks like the usual suspects, which means that you can ignore those practice results because they won't apply come race day or qualifying. So, um, so that's MotoGP for the uh, up and comer series. Moto two, um, we got Celestino Vesey on 108, Ayagura 92, Aaron Kinnett, uh 89, Tony Abellino 70 points, Augusto Fernandez 69, Joe Roberts 66. Um, obviously, uh, he's he's finally had a race win, which is great. It was a bit. Um, it's a bit gifted to him, but again, to finish first, you have to finish, and he kept on the bike when a few other riders came off. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, some Cunt Chantra, 61, uh, Marcel Schrotter, 57, and then Jorge Navarro in 52. That's your Moto2 top 10. Moto3, Sergio Garcia, 112. No surprises there. Uh, Jamma Massia, 95. Dennis Foggia sharing that second with Jamma Massia on 95 as well. Uh, Ethan Guevara, 89. Ayuma Suzaki, 75, who was actually out of the Grand Prix this weekend. If you're not up to speed, he has broken both collarbones. Um, good times. Um, get well soon, Ayumi. Uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Onchu, uh, 70. 
Andrea Mino, 58, Carlos Tatai, 52, Tatsuki Suzuki, 38, and then Kaito Toba on 37. That's your Moto3 top 10. Uh, and then Moto E. Uh, for some reason, the results aren't lo- loading, but I believe Dominic Agata is leading that championship, which is, again, no surprise because he's very, very good. Um, just circling back to the MotoGP sort of circus at the moment, um, we've obviously got Jack Miller and Remy Gardner as the resident Australians at the moment for the Australian listeners. Um, let us know who else you would like to see in MotoGP, like if there's any sort of lo- you know local riders in Australia that you'd like to see get like a wild card round at Phillip Islands. If someone says Wayne Maxwell, I will buy you a beer. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, let us know who you'd like to see um, and uh, sound off in the comments as well about the whole Suzuki thing. What do you think is going to happen with those bikes and all the uh, and all the equipment? Because they're a fantastic team. Um, I mean, uh, you know the uh, they're probably one of the most sort of homegrown feeling teams in the paddock. They are very, very lovely. They're, they're well-renowned for their just hospitality and just, just generosity. Um, so yeah, bit of a shame that they're, uh, that they're going, but hopefully the team remains in some capacity. Um, we'll see. Uh, moving on, Peter, Bathurst 12 hour. You were there. Tell us all about it. I was indeed there. It was uh, it was great to finally have a return to the mountain for uh, for you know some top level sports car racing after uh, you know after a bit of a two year absence. And look, coming into the weekend, there was a lot of uh, it was it was very upsetting actually to hear it and, and see it. But uh, I mean, a lot of people slamming the uh, you know the organizers over the the low entries. Uh, so for those that don't follow, it's, it's the opening round of the Intercontinental GT. Uh, uh, challenge series. Um, typically, the 12 hour would have well over 50 entries. This year, we only had 20. And outside of, I, I call it one and a half of them, um, they were all domestic entries. You know, the, the one and a half came in the form of Craft Bamboo, which is a Hong Kong based uh, Mercedes operation. And then the half entry, I, I consider that Sun Energy Racing, which is Kenny Hubble, who is a, a, a basically a transplanted Australian doing business over in. Uh, the United States, um, but he actually has a residence at Mount Panorama. He lives on on Conrod, so we kind of call him a domestic entry, but he's also kind of an international entry as well because he's not based here. But um, but look, I felt really bad for uh, you know a lot of people behind the scenes, especially Richard Crail, who did an incredible job at at commentating on uh, on the race. And, and what a lot of people didn't realize behind the scenes, he was feverishly trying to you know uh, you know get the entries together. They were trying to. You know, source as many as they could, and uh, and look, we came up with an entry list of twenty. I think they were very high quality entries, even though a lot of them were domestic. Um, but a lot of people don't realize we are still coming out the other side of the COVID, you know, pandemic. It is difficult logistically to get teams and equipment, you know, you know, to commit to coming out to uh, you know the Australian shores. It is a long way to come. You know, we can't force them to do it. Um, so look, I mean, that made can't. it all. Yeah, you know, we, you just can't. Um, it just made it very difficult. And of course, we look at you know, uh, you know, with all these world problems, I mean, supply chains, the cost of, you know, of shipping, you know, you know, goods that you know you and I buy today, let alone racing equipment, mm. is dramatically expensive now. Um, and delayed as well. Like e- exactly. Congested. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we were talking beforehand. These lovely uh, Lamborghini uh, Orange One Triple F. Um, 
the hoodies that we were wearing. Thank you, Jane and the team at Triple F. Um, uh, I mean, mine took, uh, I mean, Melbourne to Wellington, which is, I mean, that's not, that you could walk between the two. Um, that took, what, a month to arrive. Yeah. It's near as makes a difference. So, yeah, supply chains are heavily disrupted. Absolutely. But look, nonetheless, we still we still had a race. It, it was obviously, uh, there was a lot of concern about the weekend that was selected. Every, uh, you know, those that follow sports car racing know that typically this race would be in February, a week after the 24 hours of Daytona. Um, and again, because of everything going on, it was pushed off quite bizarrely into March. And it was the same weekend as uh, what was meant to be everything going on at Sebring with uh, the World mm. Endurance Championship and the IMSA uh, weekend. So thankfully that was removed from that weekend and put to the one we had in May, uh, just two weeks ago. Um, weather very unpredictable. It was very wet coming into the weekend, but did thankfully dry out. Did have some issues with uh, with morning fog. Uh, but look, nonetheless, we had, like I said, 20 on the entry list and we had 20 starters, which is incredible. Normally mm. leading into uh, that 12 hour race, you will have casualties in practice you know when I mean, you look at the 2020 event we lost what eight cars yeah yeah, I believe you're correct. Cars. yeah, yeah. yeah. and some um, of them as early as the first day on the thursday which like i said yeah. that, that's a huge damper to start losing you know uh you know uh there was a number of porsches i think and, and and some mercedes that we had lost you know that early on but look thankfully this time all the cars made it through uh into race day which was fantastic so Look, it was a very quality, you know, entry. We had, you know, uh, the, the Mercedes uh, contingent was very well locally supported with uh, mm. with Triple Eight running the beautiful uh, yellow snake skinned man filters uh, car. We had a couple of caps uh, signed and donated for uh, for a shakedown barbecue raffle from them, which was great. Um, I mentioned we had the Craft Bamboo car there. Um, we had the Sun Energy car, which was the race winner. Um, I mean, they had a heavily stacked entry. Uh, Kenny Hubble was able to recruit uh, uh, Jules Gounod. And Steve, I know you're a very particular fan of, uh, of Jules and his driving. Not only that, I predicted like that that lineup would win. Yeah. Uh, so you can thank me now. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but then, of course, we look at Audi coming into the weekend. Uh, as I said, you know, Audi was, was uh, it was basically a six-car support. I mean... Two of those entries were, were essentially factory cars or the MPC cars yep. with, with probably a lot of German backing with them. Uh, f- surprisingly enough, we had local driver uh, Brad Schumacher um, entered in one of those, and he was paired up with um, uh, one of Henrico's fellow countrymen, uh, Kelvin Vanderlinde, and um, uh, name escapes me on, on the second one. You might be able to help me out, Steve, but um, wasn't Winkelhock. He was in the... Uh, uh, Nathaniel Bethon? Yes, thank you. Yes, yes yeah, that's yeah. the one. That's the one. Yeah, the young Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, uh, no, everything was all to play. I think Audi were probably going to be the downright favorites with the level of support that they had uh, entrusted an NPC in their cars. Uh, dominated yeah. practice, dominated qualifying, showed up on race day, and all six cars in some form or another, you know, ha- had a drama. Which was yeah. uh, which was a real real uh, big blow, and as I said, you know, it was a, it was a Mercedes one two three. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would have predicted uh, that as the race result, but that's what we had. Now, look at the end of the day, it was the opening round of the IGTC, um, and again, not a lot of uh, you know the international teams were able to come in. So, look, a lot of people would argue that the championship will start at uh, you know the next round at Spa, which is the twenty four hour. Um, yeah. But yeah. but. 
At the end of the day, it was still good to see the manufacturer support from both Mercedes and Audi, considering there was not one but two other competing events on that weekend. We had um, the GT World Challenge uh, Sprint uh, Cup on in yeah, Europe at Magna and yeah. we had an IMSA race on at Mid-Ohio as well, which, like I said, removed access for a lot of uh, a lot of drivers that we would normally see come out. Um, mm. But look, I mean, it was still good to see Mercedes and Audi wanting to put their support behind uh, their entries, which they did. Um, so I mean, yeah. the fact that they sent some incredibly scary factory drivers to yeah. Australia to, to contest for the outright win, um, that sort of you know you know make, it makes things feel far more secure for the future of the uh, of the twelve hour because it just it needs to stay. Yeah, um, I'd be very very sad to see it go. Be, yeah, absolutely. Um, it would be a massive shame to see it go. So, and, and and look on that note, I think a lot of people, like I said, we're still painting the whole doom and gloom based on how this year's event went. You know, I, I think being completely oblivious to what you know the world's just gone on, and we're actually still recovering from that. Yeah. I can assure people, I think that 2023 is going to be business as usual. People will be flocking back to. Mount Panorama in February, we'll be seeing those international teams coming in. They've now had some time to actually plan their logistics. And thankfully, I mean, even though for, for us being the fans, that's, you know, it's it's well under, you know, less than a year away. You know, uh, a lot of teams will start having cars probably come out in the next six months. Yeah. You know, preparing yeah. for that. So it's not doom and gloom. Uh, I think it's far from it at this stage. We're already hearing, um, you know, confirmation. Triple F is going to be back with Lamborghini with a brand new Evo version of their Huracan. Yes. So yep. we're going to see larger support from, you know, from uh, Lamborghini. We're hoping to see the new 296 GD3 Ferrari back out in the hands of some teams. You know, perhaps AF Corsa would be interested in, in, in coming up. BMW has yeah, got the new... Ronaldi could show up as well. Yep. BMW with the M4. We should see the return of Valkenhorst. We're, there's talk of Row Racing, who is a major, you know, BMW stalwart in, in racing circles. You know, hopefully that will uh, that will prop up, you know, some more of the German manufacturers. We already know that Mercedes and Audi will be will be propping up their entries as well. So, look, I, I think there's no doom and gloom. I think there's a lot of, you know, brilliant light on the horizon. And we do know that Corvette and, and Mustang are working on some GT3 programs in the background. Yeah. We won't see those until 2024. But look, I, th- I think the, uh, you know, the, the sports car world right now is it's actually quite healthy. We just need to be patient with it. And, you know, good things are yet to come and good things will be still yet to come at, uh, at Bathurst as well. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, if anybody from uh, M Sport is listening, I know you still have some Bentley chassis available. See one. <laughs> just one. I will be your M driver. I'm terrible. Um, but I will drive it. Tell Jules going on as well, even though he's a Merc driver now. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. So uh, just something I wanted to um, sort of hook back to very, very quickly there. Um, and just I just wanted to sort of gauge opinions from both of you. Given we've just gone through basically two years of just... Uh, I, I mean, yeah, we won't go into detail, but it, things have been a bit weird. Um, however, we are seeing series sort of, you know, starting up again and that sort of thing. They look incredibly healthy as well. I mean, GT World Challenge Europe is looking great. WEC and Hypercar and LMDH, which we'll get to briefly in a moment, is um, that's going to be very, very busy this time next year. Um, uh, obviously, MotoGP and Formula One and that sort of thing are all well underway. Is this... So you know, is this like a rose-tinted glasses sort of thing, and just general excitement to get things 
back underway, but we might start seeing problems for funding for smaller teams, you know, and, you know, this time next year, or what do we think? Because obviously with supply chain issues and that sort of thing, and just the cost of everything globally increasing, is motorsport going to have to change direction slightly to make sure it can still actually afford to put on these events for us? I think they already have. So uh, again, I know we've talked about F1 already, but I know that there was some there was some chat earlier in the week from F1 that when they start releasing their calendars, they're actually going to try and bucket the races you know, quite rightly in, in, into you know kind of you know geographic buckets. So if you've already flown over and you're going to go to North America or the Americas, you know why not look at doing Montreal? You know going to Austin. You know going to Mexico. You know or if you're going to visit anywhere in South America at some stage try and bucket all those races together. So from a logistical perspective, you're already in the right continent to do all your races. We kind of already see that in F1 with the, um, you know, we call it the European season or the summer season, which is basically mm. started now, you know, with Spain, Monaco. We do have a little hiccup where we do go across to Montreal, but then you come back and, you know, we're pretty much in Europe until, you know, the end of September. So I think if motorsport in general, you know, two-wheeled and four-wheeled started to look at that a lot more, look, it just, it just makes sense. I mean, and that's not, you know, being, a, you know, a, you know a, a tree hugger playing environmental things. I think it just logistically makes sense just to try and, you know, keep all those races in, you know, in geographic mm. pockets as best you can. I don't think it's much of a concern, you know, about, oh, well, if we put multiple races on in this area, we might lose fan base. I, I don't really agree with that. Um, look, if, if the fan support is there, they'll go. And if it means, you know, they, they fly off to another you know country the following week to watch them again, they'll do that because fans have that much passion. And considering yeah. we've been locked up for the last two years, people are itching at the bit to get out yeah. you know, and, and, and go. So, uh, look, I think as long as motorsport in general still continues to look at those options like that, so then... Look, on one light, you are keeping tree huggers happy, you know, with reducing your footprint. But at the same time, I think it just makes sense. You know, even if you take that bit out of the equation. Um, but look, we just need to see what, you know, organizing bodies are going to be like in terms of, uh, of doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the other, like, what I was going to um, uh, swing over to you for, Henry, was does it put the prospects of something like a Kailami Formula One rounds at risk if they start condensing the calendar and we, we see less of these flyaway races? Um, I don't actually think so. Um, I, I've noticed a trend evolving in Formula One. I think the races that are going to, well, Formula One and other series, I think the races that are going to be more at risk are the traditional circuits that we've, you know, all come to know. Things like, um, I'm holding my thumbs, um, Spain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think your more traditional circuits... I don't know if it's going to happen, but possibly I've been hearing rumors, Monaco, I can't see them doing it to Spa, um, but your more traditional races getting axed in favor of more commercially viable races, which is why we're having so many races in the United States. They're trying to get into that market, which is why we're having so many races in the Middle East, because there is a lot of money there. And at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense for a racing series to go where there isn't money um and, and it never has so i think that in of itself um poses a risk for kyle army but the there's kind of a grandeur associated with 
a race on the African continent, um, with any sort of sporting events on the African continent. Um, all right. With the World Cup in 2010, the, the Soccer World Cup, um, I personally didn't think it was going to work, and I, I still think it was one of the worst ones in memory. Um, but the budget was there. The The event took place, and a lot of people remember it very fondly. So the point I'm trying to make is, um, even though it, it's going to be a, a huge expense and they might not be as commercially successful coming to places like Kyle Army, coming to, you know, your uh, circuits which are not... Um, all that well-known, all that popular, I think there is still that kind of desire to go to new places, exciting places, exotic places, and I think they can tap into that. Um, but to balance that out, they're going to go to a lot more commercially successful places like America. We've now got, what, four on the calendar in America as of next year? I don't know, 27 or something. It's <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. We've got quite a few in the Middle East with Qatar looking to join the calendar permanently. So I think that's how they're sort of planning to balance the scales. Um, yeah. They might lose a little bit going for a very odd flyaway race, but they'll definitely make it back on their, as Peter alluded to, these bucket areas where four or five races in the Middle East, four or five races in the Americas. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's the... Um, plan of action yeah going forward and i mean it's uh, the, the other element of it <clears throat> excuse me the other element of it is is the environmental impact um you know to you know um as one of the tree huggers that peter referenced before um <laughs> like there is a, there there is uh you know the onus is on these championships to make sure that they remain not only environmentally sort of um you know like trying to re- reduce their footprint but remaining relevant like, I, th- I think relevancy is the most important thing because the moment these championships start, you know, um, uh, sort of going against the, 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 the shift towards green energy and that sort of thing, and that is another argument entirely that we will not get into on this uh, on this show. Um, uh, 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 you know, being serious here for a moment, there are people for it and there are people absolutely against it who think it's not a thing. Um, we're just not going to go into it. Um, but, you know... In a, a in a vacuum, um, these series do need to make sure that they do remain relevant, and that's where things like synthetic fuels are coming in. That's where um, carbon zero paddocks start coming in. That's where old, you know these these bucket areas that again that, that, that Peter referenced before to reduce the um, you know carbon emissions and that sort of thing between between events because they're using they're using vehicles instead of ships or air freight to. Uh, well, not ships. They're they're usually um, pretty slow, but air freight to um, to, to to transport the um, the you know the, the vehicles and equipment and that sort of thing. Um, we're very much at a at a sort of crucial phase of that. I think now, um, you know, the younger generations especially are going to be the people who pay for the environmental damage that you know has been building up for decades. So the these series need to continue to remain relevant so you know so they go to they go to races as well and so these series continue so um yeah it's uh it, it, it's good to see these sort of hints that f1 are looking into that and you know you 
compiling things by region that makes a lot of sense and it's honestly just less of a tax on the teams and the drivers as well um like they can you know they're not having to to do like three long haul flights in a week or or whatever it may be to to get from you know one part of the world to another to do two races so it, it makes sense um but uh just to wrap things up we'll cover over a couple of other series wood endurance championship um hypercar there's three teams at the moment and next year there's going to be like a million it's going to be great um we've got everyone is basically turning up so uh porsche confirmed their car is still in you know shakedown name drop um (laughs) their car is still in shakedown testing whatever you want to call it um ferrari are coming cadillac are coming uh by collars slash van wool slash barbecue are coming um whatever you want to call them um peugeot they're ready to go the 9x8 will be running on track at monza we won't see it for le mans but we will see it for monza (coughs) and if it's as fast as it looks it's gonna be good um I, I, I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Weck is looking like it's going to be really, really good. I don't care that these cars are a little bit slower. Um, it's just really good to see more than two or three manufacturers yeah. arguing over, you know, top spots. So at the moment, we've got Alpine leading from Toyota, leading from Glickenhaus. Um, and that is going to look very different this time next year. So, uh, so bring it on. But yeah. Um, uh, we've got um, uh, what's coming up next for WEC. We've got Le Mans very soon, um, and then uh, obviously Mons are in the remainder of the championship from there. So that'll include Fuji and uh, Bahrain. Um, so yeah, it's um, looking pretty good at the moment. It's going to look really good next year, though, with all of those manufacturers. And a lot of these manufacturers are also eligible for IMSA as well. The yeah, Le Mans Daytona hybrid rules. Um, yeah. so I was just going to I was just going to touch on that as well because uh, you mentioned you know, obviously with Cadillac coming in with their hypercars, the Cadillac program is actually still running along quite successfully in uh, IMSA at the moment, um, uh, and we do have obviously the the Acura presence with uh, Wayne Taylor Racing and that. Mm. Um, they're uh, they're running next in uh, in Detroit uh, next weekend. So, uh, and look, IMSA, I think is they're having another banner season. Like I said, and I think with all these rule changes and these cars becoming eligible between both series, I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, kind of uh, you know, a lot more activity between both series. Which I think is it's like I said, it's a very healthy time. I think for sports car racing i mean and steve you i I don't you've probably followed sports cars for as long as me and usually sports car racing kind of goes through cycles you know ups and downs and i mean and you know i think we've been in a bit of a down in the last couple seasons but now with this whole hypercar thing coming on board and the manufacturer seeing the importance we're we're coming back up again um yeah which is really really good this feels very much like the um the gt1 resurgence after um you know after group c and that sort of thing sort of fizzled out and you know died a horrific death that it didn't need to um yeah. but yeah this feels very much like that sort of resurgence again so it's just you know manufacturer support is healthy i should point out as well we've got lamborghini coming to hypercar as well they have yes. informally announced they are coming 
I yeah. can't wait to see it. It's going to look mental. It's going to be great. Um, cool. So that is WEC. We've also got the uh, Total Energies uh, 24 hours of Nürburgring this weekend as well. So uh, qualifying is, uh, I think Q3 is still to come, but qualifying is more or less done. 130 cars. That ranges from SP9, which is your GT3 cars and that sort of thing, all the way to diesel golfs and yeah. so on. It is a really, really good event so um if you've got 24 hours free between 2 a.m monday morning and or sunday morning wherever it is or you know and uh and and you know 24 hours following uh and you're in the new zealand time zone because i can't be bothered figuring out where everything else is relative to me in time um then uh give that a watch um and then uh in terms of endurance events we've got i mean technically it's an enduro you've got the paul ricard a thousands and that's the precursor race before the spa 24 which everyone looks forward to and if you don't look forward to it then um there's something wrong with you um <laughs> uh finally uh local racing or local to australia's uh, australians anyway we've got a uh, tcr at sydney motorsport park this weekend that's correct. um Yep, so that is all kicking off. Shout out to Braden Wilmington, who was uh, competing there. He's a Shakedown member in the Alfa Romeo. So um, go show him some love. Uh, and uh, Peter, also just going back to the 12-hour, we had some Shakedowners in the 12-hour too, didn't we? We had uh, quite a number of Shakedowners participating. We, we had, uh, yeah, we had one of the uh, privateer Benzes. We had Mike Sheargold and uh, Brett Hobson. Um, and, and, and Brett actually was, uh, was very kind enough to, uh, uh, assist with subsidizing uh, a good chunk of the, uh, the barbecue we had for members, uh, on the Saturday night at the, uh, at the aptly named camp shakedown, which is known as Robbo's place. Um, so we had a fantastic event there. We had a bunch of, uh, uh, raffles that had gone on prizes that had been donated by, uh, uh, by teams and whatnot. So now it was fantastic. And it's actually great to see the amount of, of shakedown members that are actually competing in, in motorsport at any level at, on any particular given weekend. You did mention we do have, you know, Braden and TCR. We, we've got Josh Burden in, uh, you know, in the Hyundai TCR. And even some of the support classes, we've got a plethora of, of shakedown members participating, which is just fantastic to uh, fantastic see. And you are right, Steve. I mean, we do need to get behind our locals. Like I said, a lot of them have always got their garage doors open to us, you know, pop in and say good day to, to any of them. They're always happy to, uh, to have a chat with us and, and show us around their cars if they've got the time. And that's the wonderful thing about a lot of these events, like, um, you know, like Aussie TCR and the 12 hour and that sort of thing. It's, um, it's very rare that you get the sort of level, level of access to the, to the, you know, the teams and drivers and the, garages and that sort of thing if you go to formula one you're not allowed within a million yards of any of that unless you pay incredible amounts of money yeah. um so yeah like definitely you know um you know you know use that opportunity take advantage of it go meet these drivers talk to them you know just get behind them um you know they they definitely appreciate it and um more bums and seats at tracks means more racing so um yeah it, it pays the bills at the end of the day as well so um yeah if you're near to sydney motorsport park this weekend please turn up and uh and enjoy but uh look we've uh, we've punished your ears for a little bit over an hour um an hour and six and 30 seconds apparently um so i think for our first recording we'll leave it there i promise we'll have more formula feeder 
info and IndyCar as well. Our resident expert was unfortunately away today, as I mentioned before. So we will uh, we'll, we'll scrub up then. But um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Let us know your thoughts and feedback and that sort of thing. Um, we will be listing this podcast on more than Spotify. We're just using Spotify at the moment as it is the most prolific. And honestly, it was one of the easiest to get set up with the RSS feed and that sort of thing as well. But um, if you are technically knowledgeable and you would like to give us some ideas of uh, where else you would like us to list these uh, these episodes, um, Henry's also mentioned Deezer, so we'll work on that too. Um, I'm also going to get Apple on hopefully sorted i don't know um looks like a bit of a faff to be honest but if you are technically minded and you've got any ideas and you know recommendations for us to 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 list these episodes please let us know but um uh thank you very much from uh from myself and peter and uh henrico uh and we will catch up with you guys um very very soon hopefully in the next couple of weeks for episode two thank you gents Thank you. No Take care, everybody. Keep it on the track. Indeed. All right. Have a Take good care, night. Guys. Thanks. Bye.